Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, let me also welcome those of you who are online watching or will be watching. Great to see you all here in person. <clears throat> Thank you for those who participated so well and uh, shared in music and uh, also in the spoken word. Let's pray together. Our God, you are in heaven. You are above all things. Everything serves your purpose. There's nothing that occurs in this world apart from your ordained stamp of approval. As we were reminded of earlier this morning, you are all-powerful and sovereign, but you are also good. And you're kind and you're gentle. Help us, Holy Spirit, to regard our Lord as holy. Even as we have prayed and gathered in your name, we are on holy ground. And I pray that my thoughts and the thoughts of your people listening and and in person here this morning would regard you as holy. Be very careful not to think things that might be profane or vain. We pray that your will would be done on this earth. complexity and the number of things that are wrong astound us. Only an infinite, holy, sovereign, omnipotent God could possibly resolve the injustices, the immorality, the wanton depravity, murderous deaths, sicknesses and illnesses, both physical, spiritual, and mental and, and emotional. Only you could do that. And you will do that. Someday we will regard this earth as your will accomplished in peace and justice and righteousness. We pray, Lord, that you would start that work in us and continue it even today. We are needy 
dependent people and even the morsel of bread that we need on a daily basis we come to you for. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your gift of healing to many who were on our hearts and minds last weekend. Father, this is merciful. This is nothing but your mercy. And yet there are still others who are suffering from various illnesses and, and even this virus. We would beseech you, Lord God, that you would meet their physical needs. We come to you as dependent people, but we also come to you as sinners. And we plead for your forgiveness for our sin. And Lord, it is but your mercy alone that would keep us from further temptation and violation of your holy character. We ask you to superintend our lives so that we would live in a way that pleases you. All glory belongs to you. All power belongs to you. All majesty belongs to you. So, Father, as we open up your holy word, the very word which you have exalted above all things except the name of Jesus. We pray that our hearts would exalt also this word. Even as we have sung from Psalm 19, it is your word that converts. It is your word that cleanses and transforms. Cause your book to live and help us to see ourselves in your book. But more importantly, help us to see Jesus Christ. For we ask this in his name. Amen. As you turn to Proverbs chapter 2, I would invite you to Consider the question, let's get things going here. I invite you to consider the question, do you recall what is the first commandment with promise? What is the first commandment with promise? It's very specific in the Bible. There are probably hundreds of commandments in the scriptures. But there's one that the Holy Spirit has deemed necessary to point out to you that it comes with a promise. 
It's a commandment with a promise. You'll recall that Paul speaks of it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, and I'll read it for you. Honor your father and mother. And then in parentheses, this is the first commandment with a promise. And then he recites the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. Here's the promise and that you may live long in the land. This is the only, only one commandment in the Ten Commandments that comes with a specific promise attached to it. The exact reading of Exodus 20, verse 12 is, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. As this applies specifically to Israel, it was incredibly important to them. The whole concept of the land was very important to them. If they remained faithful to God, they would experience all his blessings in the land. For God to remove Israel from the land indicated punishment from God, indicated God's curse. So when you read in the Old Testament when Israel, the kingdom was divided and they both kingdoms fell into immorality and were lawbreakers, they were removed from the land and taken to captivity. For a Jew, the land was <clears throat> incredibly important. To be taken from the land, it was to be removed from the temple where God's presence was. Literally, to be taken from the land was to be cut off from God. Some of you who have sung in choirs will remember Psalm 137, which recounts how Israel sat down by the rivers of Babylon. And then in Psalm 137, there's this question is posed by the captives, how can we sing songs of joy in a foreign land? They were removed from the temple, removed from the presence of God. In the New Covenant, it has a similar meaning. It's not so much the sense of, of, of being removed from a particular piece of territory, but under the New Covenant, the idea is that when a person is living a disobedient life, they are removed from the blessings and the joy, the abundance that comes from God alone. To live an obedient life and live as a 
as a young person and obey your parents comes with a promise in the new covenant that as you obey your parents, God will bless you. God will enrich your life. God's presence will be a sustaining grace for you. It's a command that comes with a promise. And that's the point of the message today. That's the whole point of Proverbs 2, which we're going to look at, is these parents are instructing their children that if you will live in obedience to the biblical teaching we give you, there's a promise, not from parents, not from a pastor, not from a priest. There is a promise from God that he will to is our text. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This is God's word. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want to spend some time on structure. Likely if 20, 30, 40 years ago, if I was sitting where you're sitting, I would probably uh, hate those words coming from the pulpit. 
might sound like an English class, a grammar class, but trust me on this one. The structure of this proverb, Proverbs 2, is a real help to understanding it. You'll notice that it's 22 verses. There are 22 uh, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. This is a poem. It's a poem with a design and structure. And there are some key words in it that help us understand very quickly what the author wants us to know. First of all, the son is told by the parents a condition, if you look at the beginning of the proverb. Three times the word if is used in verses 1 to 4. My son, if you receive my words. Yes, if you call out for insight. Verse 4, if you seek it like silver. So three times we're given the word if, so that there's a condition to the promise, in other words. In, verses, in verse 5, you see two times the word then. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and then find the knowledge of, the, of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, and so on. And down to verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice. I think, I think you, should, you see this very clearly. We all deal with if-then statements, okay? If-then statements. If you take out the garbage, then you will be uh, pleasing to your parents. It's, this is a, an, an ordinary usage of a conditional sentence that we use all the time. The, the, the author is doing this. If such and such happens, then something else is going to happen. And then if you read on, you, we find in verses uh, 12 to 19, the benefit of the then, the advantage, the uh, what's the gain, what's the profit if I do this? If this happens, then this is going to happen, and what is going to, wh where will I get any profit? And you'll see that two times the word deliverance is used. Delivering and being delivered. Just track with me. You'll see that this is a very simple roadmap through the English language. If such and such takes place, then the result will be such and such, and then deliverance will come. You see that? Deliverance will come. And then finally, in verses 20 to 21, we get the promise. If you do this then this will happen and you will receive deliverance and you will be able to, verse 20, walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of righteous 
and you will inhabit the land, and you'll remain in it. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. So if you do such and such, then such and such will happen, and you'll be delivered, be delivered and dwell in the hand in the land, but the wicked won't be. So it's these little four words. These little four words. If, then, deliverance, and blessing. And that's how the author structures this entire poem. So let me quickly go over the details. They're not hard to figure out. We're going to talk about, first of all, the if. What does the if mean? Well, look back to verses 1 to 4. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments, making your ear attentive, inclining your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, that's the if. That's the condition. Here we picture a child who listens to their parents. Here we have a picture of a child that places great value on the teaching of their parents. Here we have a child who is hungrily pursuing godly wisdom. In fact, it's the most important thing to them. Just stop and think of that. Can you imagine a child, a young person, who places the pursuit of godly wisdom as more important than anything else in this world? Here we have a young person in a family that is so hungry for biblical truth that their heart is crying out for wisdom, pleading the Lord for understanding. In fact, their desire for biblical truth is so important, it's more valuable than searching for silver and gold. That's the condition. That's what the proverb is teaching us precedes the promise. You want the promise? There's a condition. And the condition is to have a passionate priority for pursuing God's truth. You see, Solomon doesn't want us to miss the point that biblical wisdom just doesn't fall on you by accident. You don't get biblical wisdom by osmosis. In other words, you don't get biblical wisdom by just brushing up beside it. It's not like the current virus where you walk into the air and all of a sudden you get biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom comes from a person who's prepared to take responsibility and make that pursuit number one in their life. 
It's a passionate priority. Now, obviously, I'm speaking to youth this morning. It does apply to all of us, by the way. But I would wonder what that would look like. This is going to sound rather negative. I'm sorry. But I wonder what it would look like in Elk Point Baptist Church if a young person emerged from this group of people and they were identified as a person who put the biblical pursuit of God's wisdom as number one in their life. Our culture tells you to put other things as number one. And I'm not putting down other things. But I believe it's possible. And if God would be gracious to us even here in this church, I believe it would be possible for a young person to put a, the, the, the pursuit of biblical wisdom through a passionate priority of of studying and obeying and learning the Word of God, I believe it's possible for a person to do that and do other things. But it will look fundamentally different. Remember last week I, I, when I spoke on, on Proverbs, I said the person that emerges from a family who inclines their ear to hear their parents and obey them, they... They're like a garland, like flowers are, 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 are adorning their lives. It, they're, they're beautiful. They're winsome. They're attractive. They're, they're people that stand out as, as people who have it together. I wonder if somebody in Elk Point Baptist Church would even this morning, before the end of this service, whether you're eight years old or 18 or more, maybe even 80, say, I want to be this person who puts the pursuit of biblical wisdom number one in my life. It would be revolutionary, would it not? May the Holy Spirit move on someone this morning. What glory it would be for some of us to know that a young person who hears the word, this converting word from Proverbs 2 would say, I want to be that young person. I want to be that person that has such a passion and a pursuit for biblical wisdom. I will set it above all else that I have to do in my life. I wonder if there would be a parent that would model that. That's the if. What about the then? The scriptures here say that if you will do that, then there's three things, three thens. Number one, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. 
then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Number two, then you will find the knowledge of God. Number three, then you will understand righteousness, justice, and equity in every good path. What's, what's Solomon saying here? He's saying that if you make the pursuit of biblical wisdom your number one pursuit, then first of all, you will have the right view of God. The fear of the Lord is the right view of God. I'll explain that in a minute. You'll have the right view of God. Secondly, you will know God. Know Him experientially, not just about Him. Not just, you couldn't just list a few attributes. You know God. They that know their God. They that know their God will be the ones that do valiantly. You might recall, if you were listening a few weeks ago in our adult Sunday school class, that Dr. Sinclair talking about Paul's passion in Philippians 3, that he would know God, know God on an experiential level. For any young person that is prepared to pay the price of putting biblical wisdom as a priority, you will know God. You will know God on a level that other people don't even come close. And not only that, you will understand righteousness, justice, equity in every good path. In other words, you will know ethics. You will know how to live. A month or so ago, I spoke from this pulpit on biblical justice versus social justice. Beloved, I say this with a level of grief. When I hear people talk about justice and equity and what is right and good in this society, even Christians, the mindset is tarnished with secular thinking. Now, that's another sermon, so I won't go any further with that. Would you not want to be a young person this morning that can look at the moral dilemmas of the world today and be able to see it clearly with biblical insight. Would you not want that? If, then. Then Solomon moves on to deliverance. In one sentence he says, if you do that, then you will understand God, know God, be able to apply God's view to life, and then you'll be delivered. You'll be delivered from evil. Verses 12 to 19 describe wicked men and wicked women. I'm not going to unpack all that, but the bottom line is that if you will put biblical wisdom as your number one pursuit, then you will know God and know about God and how to apply God's uh, uh, ideals to this life, and you will be delivered from evil. Who, who would not want to be delivered from evil? Who would not want that? 
Now, that doesn't mean you won't have trouble in your life. That means that your soul will never be in danger. Are you seeing if, then, deliverance? If you pursue God on this level, then you will know God and those other things, and you will, you will understand deliverance as God really intends it, and otherwise, in other ways, and otherwise, your soul will never suffer shipwreck. You'll be preserved. You'll be kept. You'll be delivered. If, then, deliverance. And someone might say, well, so what? What's the gain? What's the promise? Or what's the profit? Well, it's in the promise in verses 20 to 21. Please look at it again. For those who do the if, then they'll experience the then and the deliverance, and they'll have the blessing of being kept in the land. And that means you'll have the blessing of knowing God's fellowship, God's abundance, and God's richness all your life. What if you don't follow the course? What if you're sitting here today and you're looking at me as if I'm some Martian from outer space and just yakking on? What if you're watching online and you say, eh, not worrying about it. It's a terrible cost. Verse 22 explains the cost. The wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out. It's a horrible cost not to put the pursuit of God number one in your life. It's a horrible cost not to place biblical wisdom and knowledge of God as the number one passion in your life. The cost is eternal. But if you do that, then you will know God. You'll be delivered from evil and you'll be kept in the land. You'll be kept in God's pleasure and presence. It all hinges on that little word if, doesn't it? Everything hinges on the word if. To know God, to know how to please Him, to experience deliverance from sin and special blessing is conditioned on the word if. If you listen and obey your parents' biblical teaching, and if you make the pursuit of God's wisdom your number one ambition, then all these things will come true. There's a lot riding on that little word, if. 
Remember what I said Paul wrote in Ephesians 6? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. We live in a culture where most people, and I'm going to use this terrible word that we've heard a lot, most people hate restrictions. When I hear of another restriction, my shoulders go forward, my body caves in, I feel sad. And that's how most people feel when, they, when you talk about restrictions. Someone comes up to you to tell you what's right and wrong. We don't welcome that, do we? In fact, in the 21st century we live in, if someone dares to say what is right and wrong, they're labeled a bigot or they're using hate speech. That's not the point of this proverb. The point of this proverb is that we as people of God would love God's restrictions. That we as the people of God would love God's commandments. His commandments are never intended to destroy us. As we can see in this proverb, they're intended for our good, that we would dwell in the land, that we would enjoy the abundance of his grace and his mercy. The point of the Proverbs is that there is a wisdom that exists that is greater than ours. And if we listen to him, it's for our own good. By the way, that's what the fear of the Lord means. It's an acknowledgement there's one who exists, who is sovereign and all-powerful and all-knowing, and I'm not. And I bow before him. If we think it's best to live this life the way we want to live it, we'll be cast out of the land. We'll be separated from God. And we'll be separated from his blessing. You might be here this morning and you say, Pastor Jim, I've been listening. And I just don't know that I can do that. I don't know if I have it in me to, put a, to passionately pursue biblical wisdom and make that number one in my life. I don't think I can do that. And I have good news for you this morning. You can't. You can't do that. The only way that you can possibly do that is to first of all put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The only possible way you can do the if is to be a person who has committed their life to Christ 
acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner and you're in need of a Savior. And for everyone who does that, for every single person who believes Christ and receives, them, receives Him as their Lord and Savior, He gives to you the most precious gift that anyone could ever receive. And it's the gift of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And that is your hope and my hope to be this kind of person who radically pursues biblical truth as a number one priority because we can't do it on our own. We can only do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that this Holy Spirit who is given to us by God, listen carefully to these words, He works in us what God wants us to work out of us. You hear that? That might be the most important thing I said today. The role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to work in us what God wants us to work out. Where do I get that? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul said this. He said, work out your salvation, your own salvation, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. So just think of the blessing of being a Christian. God the Holy Spirit working in us to give us the choice. Choice. You can't even choose to be this kind of person without God working in you. You can't even choose to be this kind of person without God working in you. For it is God working in you to will and to do. For everyone who has placed their faith in Christ, God gives us this gift of the Spirit who opens up the Word of God to us, who illuminates it to our hearts, enables us then to choose to obey it and enables us to do it. I wonder if there will be a young person at Elk Point Baptist Church starting from this morning that will say sincerely and honestly before God, God, I want to be. I want to be that person I want to put the pursuit of biblical truth, biblical wisdom as number one in my life. I want to do the if part of this proverb. And I'm confident, confident as you give me the will and the ability to do the if, the other parts of the formula will fall into place. Then I'll know God. I'll be delivered from sin and I'll enjoy the blessings that you have to offer me. Maybe there's a young person this morning, either listening online or listening on site, that would make 
that decision before God. Will you pray with me? Again, Father, if if somebody in this church made this promise, we would probably not take it very seriously. If a politician or a king, a priest or a pastor made this promise, we probably wouldn't give it much attention. But you have said in your word, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is good. Honor your father and your mother that you may dwell in the land and enjoy long life. Lord, work in our hearts this morning. Remind us that it's not too late for us who are parents and grandparents to be this kind of person too. Remind us how vain it is to place the things of this earth above the things that are eternal. Grant to us, Heavenly Father, a true conviction to be people of the Word. And Lord, if you have worked in our lives this morning, then receive all glory. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand, please, as you hear the benediction? Second Timothy 3, 14 to 17. But as for you, Paul is speaking to young Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work.